0: me this morning. Father God, we just want to say thank you for the opportunity to be here. Father, to be able to read your word, to pray, to sing songs, it is such a privilege to be called your children. And Lord, we may not have been very familiar with the song that was just played, but God, to lead us to the cross for what we celebrate every Sunday, for what we're celebrating this coming Easter. God, the place where you died to make it possible for us to to be able to come here and to worship you and it not be a waste of time. The Lord Jesus, to make it possible that we could come and be with you. God, that you could send your Holy Spirit on this place, that you could put your Holy Spirit in our hearts. God, that even right now we could feel you in us, among us, working, moving, speaking. And Father, I pray for every person in this room that we would not neglect the opportunity that we have for you to do a great work in our life. But God, we're, we're here seeking you. We're here to meet with you. And God, I pray we would make ourselves as available as we possibly can trust in you to do the rest father we pray for cindy copeland this morning we pray for henry as he as both of them are in the hospital and god we just ask that you would be with them and watch over them and lord should be with the doctors and the nurses lord we pray for all of our families that are gone this week traveling for vacation just celebrating spring break and god we pray that you would give them rest and Father, when they come back, that they will not only be refreshed to go back to work or school, but God, they would be refreshed even in their relationship with you. Lord, that we would all be ready to speak your name and represent you well in all aspects of our life. But in this moment, in this time, I pray for the people who are watching, who will watch later, who will listen later, and who are here in this room right now, that we would make ourselves available to you. We love you this morning and we just want to say thank you for being the sacrifice for our sins. We ask all this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said Amen. You may be seated. Well, it is good to see everybody this morning. I'll be honest, we got a little more people here than I thought we would. We were sitting here counting about all the families that were going to be going on vacation this week, and uh, we, were, we were thinking, oh, we're going to be really thin. But we've got a good crowd this morning, so thank you for coming, even though it's spring break. Thanks for not taking a week off. But uh, we're talking about faith, and we've been talking about in the story of Noah, Genesis 6. If you've got your Bibles and you want to turn there, you can go ahead and turn to Genesis 6. That's where we're going to be. We're going to be moving around, jumping from some different verses today. But today's title is uh, Faith Can Be Lonely. And so if you're sitting here this morning, it's super important to understand that we, we all go through periods of loneliness in our life. But it's very important to understand that as you believe in Christ and you begin to give your heart and life to him, that there are times where that can be a very lonely thing. There are times where family members, friends, people that you thought would never neglect you or abandon you, may discard you in order to pursue other things while you are trying to pursue Christ. And that can be a very, very difficult thing to bear. But to live a life of faith by choice can be one of the loneliest things in this world that you can endure for a time. And this is what we're talking about today. Nothing will make people avoid you Nothing will make them avoid you more than you living for Jesus Christ and you talking about Him. It's true. They will avoid you like the plague. And when you look at faith and you look at our relationships, and we talk about it in church, we make it sound like, all this it's easy, it's great, it's it's such an easy thing to live for the Lord, and you read passages of Scripture, and it just seems like, bam, 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 everything lined up, the stars were aligned, everything happened so fast in Scripture, that it just doesn't seem like they went through what we went through, or what we go through, does that make sense? Like, we're experiencing something that no one else is experiencing, because no one else at church is talking about it, probably because they're not just being honest, they're not being transparent. But we all go through stuff. We all deal with loneliness. We all deal with abandonment. We all deal with this whole aspect of losing things of the world in order to follow Christ. And I'm going to tell you, if you claim to be a believer in Jesus Christ this morning and you haven't had to give something up or lose people in your life as a result of that, then chances are you need to take a check. And really look at your relationship with Christ and question whether or not you're doing it the way Christ has called you to. Because Jesus told his disciples, I did not come to bring peace, but I came to bring a sword. And he didn't just bring it just to like show it off, but he came to use it. And a sword cuts, it separates. It is one of the most violent and painful ways that I could imagine to die, to be cut or stabbed with a sword, something of that size, would be extremely excruciating. And Jesus did not come to bring unity, but he came to bring a sword, to separate a father from his children, a mother from her daughters, husbands from their wives, because he knew when people began to put their trust and faith in him, it was going to cause separation and division between people who believe in Jesus and people who don't. You with me this morning? You look at the church. How often does the church agree on stuff? Nobody wants to answer. (laughs) It's hard. It's extremely difficult to get a body of believers to agree on anything. I mean, like we're, we're talking like we've, we've kind of been in this phase of our church where the Lord's blessed us financially and we've been doing some updates on different things. And it's amazing at how many different opinions people have of what should be done and how it should be done and where that money should be put and, and all the different things and aspects that go into it. People disagree on tons of stuff. And if you think for one second that you're going to begin to follow Jesus Christ and the people of the world are going to elevate you for it, and they're going to applaud you for it. And they're going to build you up for it. You're crazy. And if you're sitting in here this morning, if you're older, I want you to think about this. I want you to consider this for a moment. Because even in my life, like, I'm, I'm kind of like in the middle of the road. I'm 37. When I got saved, most of my family and most of the people in my life were very supportive in my relationship with Christ. Most of them built me up. Does that make sense? Like, they supported me in that. Even though they probably weren't living it personally at the time, they were very supportive in that. You are living in a day and time where your children and your grandchildren are growing up. When they truly give their hearts to Christ and they begin to live for them, they are going to be ostracized. They're going to be discarded as being a far right-wing, you know, just crazy person who believes in nonsense and they're not going to be taken seriously, and they're not going to be included in stuff. And this is what we're talking about today. Because when you believe in God, faith can be a very lonely thing. And when you look at Noah, you know, like we, we said, this story gets, it does not get its due credit because of what happens in children's church. Like so many people just go through the story of Noah, and we think about the flood and how cool it would be with all these animals. And We talked a little bit last week about how miserable it probably would have been to be been on a boat for over a year with all those animals shoveling poo getting rid of urine, trying to feed all this stuff. And it's like, what do you do with all that? Noah was a man of faith. And Noah lived a very lonely life. I want you to think about this. Let's read Genesis 6, verses 5 through 6. It says, The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth and saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil, So the Lord was sorry that he ever made them and put them on the earth, and it broke his heart. Everything on earth, consistently, totally evil, the people were violent, everything. Skip to verse 9. It says, this is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on the earth at the time, and he walked in close fellowship with God. So Noah was the only righteous person living on earth. And it does not include his sons in this. It doesn't include his wife or his son's wives. It says, Noah is the only person who lived and walked with God during this time. He was the only righteous one. How lonely must that have been? You know, it's like most of us in our homes, like we at least have, like we're, you at least like, we all claim to believe in Christ, whether or not we live it out, right? Most people. Most people. And most of you go home and you, you, you go home and you shut the door and you have people in your home who at least claim to believe in Christ, even though they may not live it out in every aspect or they may not live it out totally behind closed doors, but they at least claim it. And you look at the story of Noah and you look at the world and you look at Noah, the whole world is evil and sinful on this end of the spectrum and then Noah is over here on this side of the spectrum and he's the only one who's righteous and blameless before God. How lonely must that have been Noah to live like that for 600 years. And it doesn't even include his wife or his sons in that statement to say that he was the one. Skip to verses 11 and 12. Now God saw that the earth had become corrupt and was filled with violence and God observed all this corruption in the world for everyone on earth was corrupt. You see the theme in these verses? It's constantly reaffirming everyone and it's constantly reaffirming Noah as the only one. Verse uh, Chapter 7, verse 1. When everything was ready, the Lord said to Noah, Go into the boat with your family, for among all the people of earth, I can see that you alone are righteous. Again, affirmation. Everyone, Noah. Chapter 7, verse 23. God wiped out every living thing on earth, people, livestock, small animals that scurry on the ground. And the birds of the sky all were destroyed. The only people who survived were Noah and those with him on the boat. Those who were blanketed by his righteousness that got to benefit from it. And then you read Genesis chapter 8, verses 15 through 16. Then God said to Noah, leave the boat, all of you, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. And I just want you to imagine this for a moment. Because like, we think, oh, this would be so cool. If God used this us to do this, this would be great. Can you imagine what it was like when Noah finally got off that boat with his family and they were the only, I think I'm doing math right, eight people, it was only eight people on the entire earth. And they stepped onto the dry ground. And never again are they going to go out and eat supper somewhere at a restaurant and have someone serve them. Never again are they going to be able to watch TV because there's nobody on the other end acting and running that thing. The radio in your car isn't going to work. Nothing's going to be there for you. You talk about lonely then? Because it's one thing to be like, okay, here's everyone else, and then I'm over here. But then Noah steps out of that boat, and they are literally alone. I don't know if you guys have ever watched that show before, Alone. There's a show on TV, and it's the, these people who they go out and they survive in the wilderness. But one of the aspects of the show is they are absolutely, utterly alone. There's not even a camera crew filming them. They have their own camera equipment, and they have to film themselves whenever they hunt, whenever they cook, whenever they eat. You name it, they're filming themselves the whole time, and they are literally by themselves. And you know the number one reason why they tap out and they don't make it? It's not because they don't have the skill set to survive. They get along. They start sitting there, and they start thinking about, oh, it's my kid's birthday today. It's my birthday today. They're back home and they're celebrating. This, you know my, my kids started school today, or they, they did, and they start thinking about the, everyone that they loved and all these people that they care about, and how they're living their life at home, and they're going on without them being there. And it starts to wear on them because they are alone, and most people end up tapping out because they can't handle the pressure of "Life is moving on without me, and I'm secluded and stuck here by myself." It has a huge impact on our lives. The concept and thought of being alone. And I want to tell you this morning, let's look at our points. Point number one, segregation is a natural part of faith. And that's kind of like a wiry term. Because we always associate it with racial segregation. And our experience in America with segregation, it was the only word that I could find where it talked about being separated against your will that would really kind of help us understand what that means. But I want to tell you this morning that when you believe in Jesus Christ, and you're paying attention to me, I just want you to look at me for a second. There's a difference between saying that you believe and actually believing. Because when you actually believe and you live it out, and you start talking about Jesus Christ, you will be segregated away from everyone else. They will avoid you like the plague. We talked about it a couple weeks ago. You look at Noah. For 600 years, Noah was segregated from the rest of the world. The rest of the world was over here doing this, and Noah was over here by himself doing this. And the whole concept of being alone is kind of one of those things like, we don't like that. We don't like being alone. We don't like being separated from everyone else. We don't want to be the minority, do we? And it's really hard for some of us to say it because we've never had to be that before. But your kids are growing up in a day and time where saying that you believe, even saying that you believe in Christ and not even necessarily living it out, will segregate you away from everyone else. Noah did it for 600 years. And when you think about it, consider what's going to happen on Judgment Day. The largest form of segregation that will ever happen when you start separating people against their will. And what they want and what they desire is going to happen on Judgment Day. When the world stands before Jesus and Jesus says, I'm going to take you and I'm going to separate the sheep from the goats. And for all you young kids in here, goat is not a positive term. For those of you who are older and don't know what GOAT is, GOAT is an acronym now for the greatest of all time. And so they'll talk about people like Michael Jordan and Tiger Woods, and they'll say they're the greatest of all time. They're GOATs. They're, they're true GOATs. These GOATs are bad GOATs. We don't want to be GOATs. We want to be sheep. Because when you stand before the Lord on Judgment Day, and He separates the sheep from the GOATs, He's going to take the GOATs, and He's going to send them to hell because they receive their just punishment for their sin. Okay, and notice I said sin, not sins. There's sin. We'll talk a bit more about that later. And he's going to take sheep and bring them to his right, and he's going to reward them and give them eternal life. Now I want you to think about this. Understanding the goats and the sheep, there's a lot more goats than there are sheep. You with me? And we as people, we as people, we want to be the minority. I mean, if we want to be the majority. We want to be accepted by everyone, right? We want to fit in. We want to have this. But you have to understand that when you look at Noah, you don't get your cake and eat it too. You don't get to be accepted by everyone and be in the majority and have all the good experiences and have everyone lift you up on the pedestal. And then whenever you get to judgment day, then you get to be lumped over here with sheep with the few who suffered the whole time and then you get the reward and blessing. You have to do both of them. You have to be the minority. You have to be that group who's willing to serve the Lord despite everything else. You look at Noah. Noah was segregated, alone, lived for the Lord, the only one who was righteous. And for 600 years, that probably wasn't a very enjoyable experience to be alone in serving the Lord and probably sitting there questioning many days as, why am I doing this? No one else is living for the Lord. No one else is offering sacrifices. No one else is doing this. They're just running around killing each other. Like, why am I doing this? And then when the day of judgment came and the Lord was passing judgment, guess who got to live? The sheep. And the goats were sent to their punishment. And you're living in a day and time where you have to decide whether or not you're going to team up with the world, the majority, if you're going to be with them and live with them and interact with them and experience and have all the cool things and have all the good times that they have, or you're going to be the minority. You're going to be the sheep. Because when Judgment Day comes, God's going to divide them up and he's going to send those guys those way. But if you want to be with sheep and you want to have eternal life, then you've got to live it here in order to get it there. Does that make sense? So in John chapter 16, verses 8 through 10, Jesus is talking about when he returns and we stand before Judgment Day. And he says, when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin. Notice that's not sins, sin and God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. Look at verse 9. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Now you look at me this morning, pay attention to this, this little theology moment. We are all guilty of many sins. You with me? We're all guilty of many sins. But the greatest sin that we will commit and we will be judged over is not having faith in Jesus Christ to forgive you And rescue you from all those sins. So when you stand before God and people get sent to hell, it's not because of the sins that they committed. It's because they did not believe in Jesus enough to forgive them and rescue them, bring them out of those sins. That's the sin of the world. That's what people are going to be judged on. Faith, belief. Understanding that Jesus Christ can bring you out of this. You look at verse 10. Righteousness is available because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. Jesus Christ provides a way for you to be forgiven of sins. And he provides a way for you to be righteous. He does not provide a way for you to be given, forgiven of sin and to continue to live in sin. Does that make sense? Now that stinks. That may go against some of the teachings that we've been taught growing up. But I want to tell you today, Jesus Christ calls us to come out of sin and to live with him and to dwell with him. As I said, most people are goats. Most people say that they believe in Jesus Christ, right? I mean, you still look the percentages across America today. It's still the majority of people in America still say that they believe in Jesus Christ. They profess to be Christians, but they're not living it. And you look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 through 14. It says, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few will ever find it. There's a lot more goats than there are sheep. There's a lot more people going down that wide road, that broad road, that wide gate than there are going down the narrow gate. There's only a few. It's hard. It's lonely. It can be very lonely at times. But only a few are making that journey. And you got to ask yourself this question, whether or not you're willing to go ahead and be pulled out of that now so that you can have eternal life then. Because you can't have your cake and eat it too. I want you to look at me again, because this is super important. If you believe in Jesus Christ and you start talking about him, you start living for him, you start pulling out of that sinfulness, there are going to be people who are going to abandon you to the wolves. They're not going to want anything to do with you. But there's also a decision that you need to make in your life where you decide to segregate yourself. And you need to be okay with that. You need to be willing to pull yourself out of what everyone else is doing in order to do what Christ has called you to do. You look at Jeremiah chapter 15, verse 17, I'm not going to read the verse, but it should be on the screen, but it talks about how Jeremiah, he sat alone and he did not participate in any of their feast or merry you know, feast or anything like that, but he was, he was disgusted by their sin. And there has to be a decision in our life where we, we actually, we, we say, okay, not only am I willing to let other people segregate me and pull away from me because I believe in Christ, but I'm actually going to choose this myself because I understand that that sin is so serious, and I don't I don't want to be lumped in with the goats. Now I'm going to pull myself. I'm not going to participate in what they're doing. I'm going to choose to remove myself from this because I see now how disgusting sin is. God has revealed to me how disgusting sin is. And there's some of us in here this morning. That sin is still creeping at our door and we have not been disgusted by it yet. It still appeals to us, it still calls to us. We still desire that in our lives. And I want to tell you, it doesn't mean that you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ if that's what's going on. But what it means is, is that you still need to grow. I still need to grow. Can I be honest with you this morning? I still need to grow in some areas. There are things that we have to understand in our life that like we may not be at that point personally where we're ready to just like discard everything and do away with it. But we need to understand that that's what Christ has called us to. He's called us out of the world and into him. You cannot continue to live in the world and live in Jesus Christ. It's not possible. It's not going to happen. And on judgment day, Jesus said he would separate all that. For 600 years, Noah was lonely, and then for the rest of his life, they were alone. Faith can be a very lonely thing, but you cannot let that fear cripple you and your choice to follow Christ and what he's calling you to do in your life. Point number two, people abandoning you is a natural part of faith. When you begin to live for Jesus, not just say that you believe in Jesus. It's not just about saying you believe in Jesus. When you begin to live for Jesus, people will abandon you. They will avoid you like the plague. Yeah, I grew up with a bunch of juvenile delinquents as friends. And I'll say it's probably pretty fair to say of of all the group, I was probably the most level-headed out of all them, and I was a delinquent as well. But um, there's not a friend that I had that I spent the night with that, that was not arrested and spent a night in jail for something. Like, not a single one. I'm like the only one. I never drank, never smoked, never did drugs, never even tried anything. That was just where I was as a person even before I got saved. That just, I didn't want none of that. Had no desire in that. And I was always included. Growing up, I didn't participate in the parties. I helped clean many of them up. I helped hide a lot of things from my friends over the years. We played ball together. We spent the night together. We were mean to people. We we bullied people together. I mean, it's like, you know, it's like I wasn't perfect, but even though I didn't participate in everything they did, I was always included. When I turned 16 and I gave my heart to Jesus, like legit gave my heart to Jesus, and I started living for him, and I started talking about him, that was the kicker. Whenever I started talking about him, and I want you to understand this, there was many a days where we talked about God beforehand, right? I mean, like, there's all kinds of people who'll sit around, they'll drink beer, they'll smoke cigars, they'll, they'll get drunk, and they'll talk about God, and they'll have some great spiritual conversations, but whenever you really start living it, and you start challenging people and say, hey, Jesus spoke to me, like, this ain't a part of my life anymore, man. I just want to let you know, like, this is what Christ revealed to me, and I just want to share this with you, because I love you and I care about you, and when you start having those conversations, whew, It'd be like you pass gas, everybody runs away. They will desert you. And that's what happened. And I've I've probably shared this story with you. I know I've shared it a bunch of times. But I can remember being in high school, and when I got saved, I didn't really realize it. Because, you know, you just like, you just kind of used to floating from grade to grade, school to school, sport to sport. And you just kind of build different relationships with people along the way. But the time where I realized I was no longer friends with those people anymore, and I didn't, I didn't even have a single connection with them, it was prom, and we were at Kampai, you know, Japanese place over at Westgate, and you have all these tables around there. Chefs are doing all these cool tricks with food and all this stuff. And it's expensive, and and we were out there for a prom. And my date and I were with another couple, some people we had just kind of started hanging out with, and then all of a sudden, every friend that I, every childhood friend that I had started walking in together. And they were all eating together and they were all going to prom together and they sat at the table across the room and we were facing each other. It was kind of one of those things I was like, dang, I was like, there's all my f- friends and I'm not with them anymore. And it was kind of painful because it wasn't like I didn't want to hang out with them anymore but I was no longer included with them anymore. They didn't call me anymore. They didn't ask to hang out anymore. We like, me and my date didn't go on dates with their, them and their dates. Like, that didn't happen. And it was kind of painful. And it was one of those things that really hurt me at that time. And I still, like, I think about it, and I, I'm 37. I can think about that moment. It's been 20 years now. And it still kind of makes my heart drop even thinking about it. And I want to share with you, adults, parents, grandparents, if you're sitting in here this morning, I want to challenge you. And I want you to understand this. Life right now is important, right? Today is important, right? Right? So if you're in pain today, it stinks, right? If you're not healthy, if you're sick today, it stinks, right? And so do not discredit your children for being in elementary school or middle school or high school or college and going through something and being unhappy and suffering in this moment because you have to remember that that is their life right now. And whatever they're going through right now is real. And it's lasting. And you remember this because you were in school and time just used to drag by. And those years of high school, you never thought you were going to graduate. It just oozed by. And you're just like, oh, I just can't wait to graduate. And it seemed like it lasted 10 years for you to be in high school, even though it was only four. And they're living life right now stuck in school, living in that moment in time that just oozes by. And if they're suffering, if they're being ostracized, if they're being bullied, if they're being picked on, if they're being segregated because of their faith it is going to seem like an eternity to them. And it is going to be real to them. And it is going to be painful to them. And those are their friends right now. Those are the people that they have built relationships with right now. And just like if you right now got abandoned by your spouse or your family or your children or anybody else and it would hurt you right now, it hurts them just as much. You with me? And you're living in a day and time where the people who are going to ostracize your kids is a lot greater number than the people who would ever ostracize you for living out for Christ. They're going to experience it a lot more than what you and I ever had to go through. And it's real. And you may look back on it and say, man, I wish I, if I would have figured this out, you realize, like, oh man, I don't ever see those people anymore and it's not that big of a deal. But it's life right now for them and it is a big deal. And you need to be encouraging to them and helping them understand that, yes, this hurts. Yes, you may feel abandoned. Yes, you may feel like they've avoided you. But God still loves you, and we're still here for you, and we want to support you, and you can do this. And you have to help them understand this, and sometimes we need to remind ourselves of this. You look at First Samuel chapter 8, verse 7. And the prophet Samuel is moving back and forth through the people of Israel, and he's dealing with the leaders of Israel, and he's dealing with this whole process of they are wanting a king. And they're not trusting God to be their leaders anymore. They're not trusting prophets to lead them or the priests to lead them anymore because they've had some problems, so now they want a king. They think a king's the answer. And Samuel is distraught over this, and he goes to the Lord, and he begins to pray. And in verse 7, it says, Do everything they said to you, the Lord replied, For they are rejecting me, not you. They don't want me to be their king anymore. And you need to communicate to your kids, your grandkids. You yourself personally need to look in the mirror. And you need to understand this, that when you take a stance for Christ, when you have those spiritual conversations, when you live for him, you need to understand that those people are not rejecting you. They are rejecting Christ. He's the difference maker. He's the reason why people will avoid you like the plague. Same thing happened in Exodus chapter 16, verse 8. The people of Israel began to look to Moses and they're saying, Why did you bring us out of Egypt? Why did you take us away? For we had plenty of food. We had clothes. We had a place to lay our head and sleep. Yes, we were slaves, but we were alive. And you've brought us out here to this desert. Now we're all going to die. And then it says, Moses added, The Lord will give you meat to eat in the evening and bread to satisfy you in the morning. For he has heard all of your complaints against him. Now you remember this. You go back and you read the words. They were always saying, Moses, why did you do this? Why did you lead us here, Moses? Why why are you doing this to us, Moses? But the complaints are against him. What have we done? Yes, your complaints are against the Lord and not against us. You have to understand that if you live your life in a way that honors Jesus Christ, there are going to be people that avoid you because of Jesus, not because of you. It's not because you're, you know, they don't like you anymore or anything like that. It's going to be because your life is convicting to them. They're realizing for the first time that, hey, I've always known there's something wrong. I always know I need to like, do something more. But now that you're actually living it out and you're showing me that it can be done, that's convicting to to me. Does that make sense? That's what they're experiencing and going through. It may feel personal, and you may be alone. You may feel alone, but they're abandoning God and not you. And point number three, you need to cling to this. You need to remember this. Take it with you. Write it on your vanity mirror so that you can see it every day when you get ready that God will fill the void of loneliness. God will fill that void. You go back to Genesis and you look at the creation of man. And God created Adam and he put him in the garden. He gave him everything he needed. He had food. He didn't even have to work for it. didn't have to plant a garden. It just grew. How awesome would that be? If I didn't have to go to the grocery store, I'd dance a jig. There's nothing I hate more than having to go. It's a huge blessing to go to the grocery store and have money to go buy food. hate doing it. I'd rather shovel poo than go to the grocery store. Never had to go to the grocery store. Never had to plant a garden. It was there for him. It was perfect. And God created all the animals. And God gave him dominion over all of them. He let him name them. They were all his pets. It's like, it's just great. And you look at Genesis 2, verse 18. It says, then the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. I want you to understand today that there may be a time of loneliness. There may be a time where you feel abandoned. There may be a time where you just feel like no one cares about you. No one's thinking about you. And whenever people don't see you, they don't even know that you exist. And that can be extremely painful. But part of having faith in God is believing that He can provide for us in any aspect that we need provision in. And you look at Adam, when Adam had everything perfect, he didn't even have problems to need somebody to talk to. You understand what I'm saying? It's not like it's like, man, life stinks. I just really wish I had someone to talk to. He didn't even need that. But God saw that it wasn't good for him to be alone and made a helper who was just right for him. And I want to tell you this morning, God has people prepared and planned for you in your life who are just right for you. And while I was going through school and losing a lot of my friends that I grew up with, people that I still like don't talk to and we have nothing in common today, God brought new people in my life to help me. Friends that I had nothing in common with before. Absolutely nothing in common with, but guess what we had in common? Jesus. There's a reason why Christ in, in the New Testament talks about the church so frequently In scripture is because he knew when he came not to bring peace but to bring a sword. There were going to be people who were alone and there were. There were a lot of Jewish people who put their faith in Jesus Christ. Their family ostracized them. Cut them out. Would not talk to them. Would not communicate with them. They had no home, no place to stay, nothing to eat. And guess what happened? The church becomes the family. There's a reason why it's called brothers and sisters in Christ. There's a reason why. Because as people when we separate ourselves from the world and we get away from the goats and we come over here with the sheep, we may not have anything in common with them. You, I, I want you to think about that today. You're probably sitting in here and you probably thinking, well, some of these church people were born. Like, they don't have fun. They are like, taught weird. I just can't even be myself around them. That's probably true at first. But it's that way with anybody that you meet at first. You got to get to know them before you can be comfortable around them. And I'm telling you, The people that God has brought in my life through Christianity, through church, are better friends and better relationships than I ever had before. There were some of those people that I was friends with from elementary school growing up that if I was on fire, I probably could not rely on them to put me out. But there's not a person that I can think of inside the church that I'm friends with in Christ that wouldn't do anything for me within their abilities. That's very comforting. And I won't tell you, when I was in school and I was losing some of those relationships, I had not gained a lot of newer relationships at that time. And it was painful. But now I look back on it and I see how God has provided. And I can cling to that through faith now better than I could then. But guys, I want to tell you, you have to believe this morning. You have to believe in God enough to be willing to give up anything in order to follow Him relationships, things of the world, money, jobs, careers, anything. Because the question always comes back to how much do you really believe? Because you can say that you believe in Jesus Christ. We can claim, yeah, I believe in Jesus. I believe in eternal life. I want to go there. Everybody wants that. Even an atheist will say, if there is a heaven, I would like to go there. But the real question is, is do you believe in Jesus Christ to go through that narrow gate and walk down that narrow road? And it's difficult and it's hard. And are you willing to do those things in order to be the sheep that God's called you to be, to have eternal life like he's called you to have. It takes faith. And yes, there are times where it can be lonely, but I'm telling you from my personal experience, God can provide. You may go through a time of loneliness. You may go through a time of sacrifice and suffering. But in due time, when God sees the time is right, he will provide people in your life. He will, he will help you in that area. I don't know if you've ever thought about it before. You know, we don't know how long Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden. Like, we don't know how long it was when God created Adam. And he had all these animals and he was naming it and he was just living in the garden because until they sinned, they could live eternally. We don't know how long they were there before God finally said, you know what, it's not really good for Adam to be alone. I think I'll create a helper for him. See, everything in Scripture just makes it sound like boom. Oh, oh, I created Adam. He's been living for 20 minutes. He's alone. Let me just create someone else right now for him. More than likely, it didn't happen like that. God has a timing and a plan for your life. A lot of times, God wants to see how serious you are about your faith. He may want to test you and to see how committed you are because when we sit here today on Sunday morning, the narrow road and the sheep and eternal life sounds great, right? And it sounds like, yes, that's where I want to be. And we may take a step through that gate. But when Monday hits and it gets hard, like, oh, I might get back over here to the goats for a little while. We got to be willing to live it out. We got to have faith to know that it's going to pay off. And I'm telling you this morning, if you don't believe the sacrifice is worth it, you're never going to do it. You're never going to live for God. You're never going to give your heart to Him. You're never going to trust that He can deliver you from the sins in your life. You're never going to speak His name. You're never going to encourage people to follow Him and see people get saved as a result of your personal ministry. If you don't believe it, that's not going to happen. And you'll always question whether or not you're a sheep or a goat. And if there's a question the probability of you being the goat is pretty high because there's a lot more of them than there are sheep. Do you believe? Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much again for the opportunity to be here. Thank you for your word. and Thank you for how you speak into our hearts and lives and help us to follow you. Jesus, it is not easy to have faith and it is not easy to sacrifice when we're not 100% sure that we will be rewarded and see benefit from it. But God, I pray today that you would help us to step out on faith and be willing to give up anything in your name to follow you and to serve you so that one day we can have eternal life with you. Lord, help us to be willing to give it all for you. We love you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed. Thank you, guys.